0: Now, this last section of of first Peter, I haven't been putting it off. I've been I've been praying over for a long time because this last section has some theology in it that nobody agrees on. And that's usually where most people go with this. They agree. Well, Jesus went to hell and preached to, you know, the demons. Demons got saved. uh, Jesus went to hell and preached, and he opened up heaven. Jesus didn't go to hell, but it's figurative. Jesus did. You'll see the theology and it's like it's crazy. You can go and you can find the theology. You can find some of the greatest scholars of all times taking the theology that's in this and, and, and totally disagreeing and churches being, denominations being started because they disagree on all this. And I'm like, God, that's not what you want us to do with this. We, we don't understand this. The greatest minds understand it. But in context, what is going on in this passage? And it's the end of chapter 3 where, remember, Peter said, hey, guys, be the best citizens you can be. In spite of persecution, undeserved persecution, be the best spouses you can be, be the best employees, be the best people you can in spite of persecution by seeing it from God's perspective. He continues that. So he summarizes it here and he says, look, if you're going to be able to do that, you've got you're going to go through storms. And in order to go through the storms, you have to have a seaworthy ship. And that seaworthy ship is Christ. Dan you're in a seaworthy ship, man. Captain Matt, does a storm bother you? Well, I will deliberately look for it, but I, I <laughs> no. Would I'm you rather? It, yeah. All right, so would you rather go through it in a rowboat or in a giant ship? A giant. Well, like it's a stable ship. Yeah, know? and the most stable ship we have is Christ. He says the storms are coming. and Christ, He's going to show us in this passage, did everything necessary to become that ship. Now we just got to get in and enjoy the ride. Captain Mac, you ever had anybody on your boat? Everybody's enjoying it, and there's somebody who's not enjoying it. Oh yeah, they're hurling over the side. Yeah. Well, hopefully they're hurling it over the side and not in your boat, right? But insurance. And and you ever seen people looking for them? what does that do to the rest of everybody in the boat? Everybody else can get in there, Ashley. It's a blast, you know. <laughs> so so again, it's all perspective, and that's what he's kind of saying in this summary. He's saying, look, man, the summary is this: you're gonna go through storms. If you're going to get what God wants you to get out of him, and he's going to get glory, and you're going to become more like him, you've got to just jump in and realize he is your only answer. You trust him like you would trust Use He uses the illustration of the ark, you know, and, and, and how people were saved in the ark, and the rest of the people, even people who worked on it maybe weren't. But he said, this is your only hope for salvation. Get in the bubble called Christ. Get in the boat called Christ, and enjoy the ride. Because so many people don't enjoy the ride. What did Jesus even say? He told the, in the Gospels, he said, hey, uh, if, if you're overwhelmed and heavy laden and burdened and tired by the religion of the day. And that was the Pharisees. They, you have to do this, do this, do this. If you're whooped from all of that, he said, he said, put your head in my yoke. What's a yoke? harness. It's a harness. It's got two things in it, right? And if you put your head in his yoke, he's that giant ox, Right? I've talked about this before. It's not a nude illustration, but he's a giant ox. And so what are you? A little ox. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not even a little ox. You're a little chihuahua, man. <laughs> That's all you are. You're a little chihuahua. And you've got your head in his yoke. Your feet don't even hit the ground. So where is that yoke going to go? Wherever he goes. Wherever he goes. What's that yoke going to do? Whatever he wants. And if you've truly surrendered and put your head in his yoke, then you go where he wants you, do what he wants. Now, it all just comes down to matter of whether you're going to enjoy the ride. How many of y'all would admit you're yappy little chihuahuas most of your life? <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> or, or let's go a chihuahua uh, Jack Russell mix. How about that? <laughs> you know? <coughs> I don't think there's anything more psychotic than that. But I'm just saying as a little dog. <laughs> So let's just say you're a little Chihuahua Jack Russell mix and you've got your head in the yoke, man. How much are you enjoying the ride? How much are you yapping at Christ? Go there! God, I don't like where we're going. I don't like what we're eating. I don't like what we're doing. Instead of just being like that basset hound, man. <laughs> just kind of chilling, you know. That old hound dog, just chilling. With your head in there, just chilling and enjoying the ride. Dude, that's the coolest place I've ever done that before. That, you know, I mean, just digging it. That's what it's about. So that's kind of, I went through all kinds of different outlines, looking at all the different possible theological explanations and realized that the greatest theological minds and pastors of this day and all the days past, man, there's denominations, there's religions built on this stuff and taken out of context when the context is simply this. There's gonna be storms, and if you're gonna survive them, get in a seaworthy vessel, and that's Christ, and enjoy the ride. You can take the troubles of your life, and you can let it destroy you. You can let it try to try to hide the pain, try to try to get rid of the pain, try to mask the pain instead of dealing with the problem. The problem's you and Christ trying to make you more like Him. But I don't want to change. Well, there's your problem. So let's take a look at this if we can, and. Here's just the point of it. And I'm not, if you guys want to talk about some of the theological issues later, like, well, did Jesus do this? Well, did this get, I'll bring some of that up, but I'm, I'm not even giving an opinion on it. I want us to get the context. And the context is if you're going to survive the storm, you need a what? You've got to have a seaworthy boat. Because, dude, it's like even a surfboard. When you're out in surfers, when we paddle out into big waves. We actually get to ride those waves. We actually have fun on those waves. But if you go out without a board into well double overhead waves, bars, you take beautiful pictures every morning. What if you had no what if you took your little uh, kayak? What if you just swam out into these double overhead waves in a hurricane swell? What would happen to you with no board? You would drown. The difference is you gotta have a vessel that will help you enjoy the ride. And that's who Christ is. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and even with surfing, you've got to paddle out. you got to paddle hard to catch a wave. You wipe out, but man, there's nothing like the glide and the ride and being able to finish up a wave, and that's what the Christian life is about. So if you're going to survive the storm, you need a seaworthy ship. So A, there are going to be storms, period. How many of y'all know that? There are going to be storms. We turn a new leaf. Oh boy, I'm so glad to see 2020 go away. How many of y'all are glad to see 2020 leave? Yeah, salty though, you act like 2021 is different. We have a different day. All of a sudden the page is turned. Everything from 2020 is gone and put in the past. And now we have a brand new day. We try to say that at New Year's, don't we? That's like all the people, dude, Almost start dying, man. <laughs> vacation. I'm not going to start dieting. I'm just going to eat as much as I ate on vacation. All right. That's all I'm saying. But it's like, I'm going to start. There's my new start. This is when it's all going to happen. It's like, it's some magical thing. The best time is right now to make those decisions, but there's going to be storms, period. How many of y'all see, again, we're not going to go there. How many of y'all think 2021 is going to be way better and we're not going to have any problems that we had in how many of y'all think that we're in for a few problems, a few more problems? One, it's going to be a little more complicated. This week I preach on decisions because is the way the world makes them, we have to make them wrong. We can't make them based on the consequence. And I think you're going to be facing some of the hardest decisions you have ever had to face this coming year. The same way you did last year. But God knows all of them. He's got all the answers and he's in charge. But there's going to be storms. And you're going to find modern theology. You're going to find people saying, no, give your life to Jesus. There's no more storms. Everything's your... Internally, yes. But our out external circumstances don't change. That's, isn't that what the Jews wanted when Jesus came the first time? What did they want them to do? What did they want to do, John? Kick out the Romans. Yeah, kick out the Romans and all our problems will be solved. Right, well, they've got a lot of problems now, don't they, the Jews? And there ain't no Romans anymore. So that didn't work. I'm just saying. It's like we are our own problem. We need to change from the inside out. So there's going to be storms. Look at this. Peter, we we talked about this the last time we were in, 1 Peter. And in this verse, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So you do evil. Okay. So all of a sudden, Fernanda comes and Fernanda comes to church and her face is all bandaged up. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, Fernanda, what happened? Oh, Fernanda, I feel so bad for you. You look like you just got your face put off by Rottweilers. Oh my goodness. And, and she says, yeah, well, there were Rottweilers next door and they were foaming and rabid. And, and I thought they needed a hug. <laughs> it's like, that's not doing, it's like, you just heard that. <laughs> Did you learn from that? No, i just say If you do the wrong thing and wrong things happen to you, yes, we want to help people through all of that. But if you keep doing the wrong things and doing it, you should expect the wrong things. And, and, and what are we supposed to do if we keep doing the wrong things and keep uh, getting the wrong results? What are we supposed to do from that? Ashton, what are we supposed to do? Wait, what now? What are we supposed to do, Bob? Learn as a dog returns to his vomit, a fool returns to his folly, right? That's in Proverbs. Has anybody here really ever seen a dog eat his vomit? Yes, yes. Yeah, dude, they do it. They will do it, won't they? My granny had a dog named Duke, man. I had a whole series on Duke. But Duke used to be chained to, this was back in Orlando when we used to have like 50 acres and an 8-acre lake. And Duke was the alarm for the whole area. Duke was on a chain, Duke, Duke was a hound dog, and every dog granny had named Duke after John Wayne. Except one she named Ike after Eck Eisenhower, I think. But Duke was a dog, always a Duke. Duke was chained, Duke had a doghouse, and every once in a while, Duke would get off his chain. What do you think Duke would do when he got off his chain, Johnny? Something he Woo, he ran, man. Duke got off his chain and had freedom, woo! Find some roadkill. Duke would oh. find roadkill. Chris, what do you think? Chris, Chris, what do you think he did with the roadkill? Yeah, he didn't get roadkill every day. He was chained there and he only got what Granny gave him the scraps and stuff. Now, you're like, oh, you fed your dog real scraps? Yeah, that's all they had back then. Now, now they have what? CBD cookies? I'm like, dude, this is crazy. But Duke never got any of that kind of stuff. Maybe he's got it in doggy heaven. I don't know. But anyway, Keep driving, get that roadkill, kill. So all of a sudden, he'd eat it. And once it all went in his belly, man, what, what started happening, Jim? Gurgle, gurgle, bubble, bubble, gurgle, gurgle, bubble, bubble. And there it is out on the floor. It's right there. Now, if that's you and you see that, what are, you, what are your thoughts as Duke the dog? I'm never going to do that again. How many of y'all ever did something you said, I, and you had a consequence that I am never going to do that again. I will never do that again. It hurts so bad. I'm never going to do that again. I mean, Chuck's coming out, Duke's nose, everything. You know what I'm saying? That hurts. Especially if you're a dog, because they got longer noses than us. But I'm just saying, you swear I'm never going to do this again because it hurts so bad. But old Duke, man, he's back on the chain now. He's over there laying in his house. He's like, yeah, that was a good run. I'm kind of hungry, man. He looks over, and what does he see? Okay. But it didn't look as bad as when it first came out. Now it's got a little like crust from being baked in the sun, and it's it's now now gourmet, you know. And it's like right, and don't y'all do it with that stuff? You bake it, sprinkles on top, you know. But anyways, it looks better to do. It. We're gonna do it again. But then later, the opportunity presents itself, and you're like dad, that don't look so bad. Anybody be honest and say? Yeah. It didn't look so bad the second time. And then you start thinking, hmm, is there a better way to do this? Maybe I'll do it a different way where it won't. You know what? Maybe I'm not going to eat it all. I'll eat it in, in, in courses. This will be my first course, second course, third course. This will be my appetizer, my main meal, my dessert. You know, what do you think, Carol? You know, there it is, Duke. So he eats it a different way. But, Carol, what's going to happen to Duke when he eats it a second time? He gets to throw up three times. The same thing, yeah. And he keeps doing it and keeps doing it, expecting something different. And so if you do the wrong thing, the wrong thing's going to come. You do what you've always done, you get what you've always gotten. And so Peter's trying to tell him, it's better to suffer for doing good. Hey, do making the same mistakes again. Is that good? Only if you what, Bob? Learn. Only if you learn. And the less you have to make the same mistake over and over again. How many of y'all finally learned with something and wish you had learned sooner? Anybody? Yeah. And I always tell that to people with addictions and stuff. They're like, oh, I quit, I quit, I quit. I said, dude, that's the easy part. You just quit because it hurt. You quit because you don't want that shame. You quit because you don't want that pain. You quit because you're just tired. You quit. Quitting's the easy part. How many of y'all would agree quitting's the easy part? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because now the pain to change is less pain to stay. What's the hard part? You're not doing it again. Not starting again. can't tell you how many people have quit stuff. And man, in We've worked and helped each other and they've gone through and then all of a sudden somebody, some friend comes. Some friend got out of jail. Some friend showed up from out of town. Some friend, something happened. In New Year's, it was kind of one of those times when some of that stuff happened. All of a sudden, somebody and all of a sudden they thought, I can do this. I can do this. And you start and you start all over again. If you're dealing with something like that, man, right now, quitting's not the hard part. Not start is the hard part. So don't start again. But here he says, it's better to suffer for doing what? Good. For doing good. If you're doing good, you can't be doing bad. Yeah. So get busy doing good. Find good things to do. And he says, but when you're doing good things, he said, if it's God's will, you may suffer for it. Emily, is it ever God's will that you suffer? He said, he promised. Jesus said, if, if they crucify, what are you going to do to you if you become like me? I don't persecute it, only in America. But the idea is, he said, the more you live like me, the more the world's going to hate it, and the more they're going to persecute you. form of lukewarmness. Ugh. Some form of lukewarmness where you're Christian enough, but it makes God want to do what? Just like Luke? Hurl, exactly. Just like that. It's better to suffer undeserved for doing good, if that should be God's will, and it is, than for doing evil. So he said, just do good. Even though you're suffering, don't, don't judge by your conscience whether it's right or wrong. How do we know whether something's right or wrong? Colleen, how do we know whether it's right or wrong? It's what God wants. What's that? It's what God wants. Yeah, the Word of God. In context, the Holy Spirit that lives inside us tells us whether it's right or wrong. So do the right thing. If you're doing the right thing, you got less time to do the wrong thing. And if suffering comes, don't back down. Keep going because God's got a plan in all of it. So there's going to be storms. Don't let anybody tell you there's not going to be storms. Jesus' day, that's the way the Pharisees, Sadducees, all those dealt with it. Oh, you're poor, you're wretched, you're hurt, you're lame, you're messed up. There must be problems. God hates you. That was their theology. Aren't you glad we don't have that theology today? Man, God loves you. And if there's something going on in your life right now, again, it doesn't have to be horrible, but we see everything from his perspective. God's got a plan. Damn, anything come in your life that's not by God's design? Yeah. Yeah, No, it's all by God's design. And you've got to figure out, God, how are you trying to make me more like you? And how can you get glory out of this? What do I need to do? Because often we're like, oh, if my wife would just do this, right, Scott? If my wife would just do that, everything would be better. But no, it's about you. What do you need to do for God to get glory and for you to become more like him? So he said there's going to be storms. But Christ is a seaworthy ship. This is where we get into some touchy kind of theology that I'm going to stick to the context. I'm going to try really hard. You help me, Terry. Man, you see me wandering, dude. Do this, man. Let me see you do it. Pull it in. Pull me in. There we go. Pull me in. All right. You see it? All right, all y'all do that. Everybody try it one time, go, whoo, pull me in. All right, all right, I want y'all to do this. You see me wander, I'm going to try not to in this old theological argument, because this is not seminary. This is church, and we need an application for all of this. So look at this. He says, for Christ also suffered. All right, Christ suffered. So he's like, you're, you're going to be a big baby because you suffered. You're going to think it's unfair because you suffered." How many of y'all ever thought, like, why am I going through this? How many of y'all ever been a big baby because you had to suffer? Honestly, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big baby when I got to suffer. but and, and sometimes we like to think, oh, I'm the only one. It's only me. I don't even know if God doesn't love me. God hates me. I'm suffering. You know? And he said, no, dude, you aren't the only one suffering. Everybody's suffering. How many of y'all here have suffered in the last year? Let me see your hand. All right, look around. There's other people here. How many of y'all have suffered in the last month? Something. Yeah. I'm like, Well, that wasn't really suffering. Yeah. Your true made is a big deal. of I mean, your wife would say you were suffering, right? <laughs> Destiny, is Jack a big baby when he gets sick, you know? Yeah, all of us guys are. It's our nature, man. Because you just don't get sick like us, man. When you deliver that baby, you might now have an idea what a man called is like. <laughs> just baby, all right? I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Come on. You don't know I'm just being stupid, right? All right? It doesn't mean I don't suffer the consequences of it. Alright. All right. Christ suffered. Christ suffered. And you know what? Christ suffered way worse than any of us ever could suffer. Because let me ask you a question. When we suffer, who do we have to help us through the suffering? Christ. We have God. That is a promise. God will help us through the suffering. When Jesus was on the cross and at noon it turned dark. Man, he's up on the cross, and he's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where was God? And what did God, what did you say God did? Forsook him. What does that mean? So, it was, so if Jesus cried out for God to help him during that three hours when he took all of the past, present, and even our future sins on him, who was taking all of those sins? He was. And was God there to help him? No. God was not there, and God's presence was there, but God was hovering over the place. God was there, but God was not helping him. He had to do it. Jesus is suffering. You never even come close to suffering like Jesus. Can you imagine having to do it all on your own? And you've tried to do it all on your own, but you really weren't on your own. Can you imagine actually doing it really on your own? And having all of the past, present, and future sins, not only of just this group, but every Believer sins from all times. Dumped on you. Book of Isaiah says it was just slammed on him. So honestly, if he has suffered more than we could ever think of suffering, do you think he knows how to help us? Do you think he knows something about suffering? Do you think he can help us suffer? Do you think he knows how to comfort us? Do you think he knows when to rest us and when to test us? Yeah. But look at this. Christ also suffered once. He suffered once right there to pay for our sins. That was a new concept for the Jews because, hey, in the tabernacle. You guys remember what was in the tabernacle? Help me out with some of the furniture. What's that? Walk in. There was, there was, there was showbread, table showbread. There was lampstand. There was lamp another table with of incense. What was something that you guys are using right now that was not in the tabernacle? Chair. A chair. Why was there a refrigerator? You're using a refrigerator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you are at home, but, but why, why was there no chair in the tabernacle? Because there were all these sacrifices. Yeah, the, 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 the priest couldn't be like, oh, dude, all right, the line's getting shorter. Like, you guys at work, you ever pray for the line to get short enough? Oh, good, we can take a break when he was on duty. No. And he never could see, Bruce, that Jesus as one man. So, and then what did he do? Right hand of God, the Father, which we'll see later, because that was all. He was the final sacrifice. He was it. And that's all you need is for him and his sacrifice to cover you. That was a new concept for the Jews. For Christ suffered once for for sins. Who sins? Yeah, say mine. Whose sins did he suffer for? Ashley, whose sins did he suffer for? Ours. No, man, say mine. Just say it. Say mine. Yeah, we like to say Ours. Us, there, there's, he suffered for you. No, for me. And you know what he even suffered for? The stupid things I'm going to do later. Maybe even in this service, Terry. <laughs> oh, I'm oh, oh, really bad. Good. Yeah. <laughs> he suffered for all of that. And we t- so often, I think we just act without thinking. Not realizing someone's going to suffer for that. I mean, I think it's right in front of us. Sometimes we'll be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That would be cruel. You know, that person would suffer if I did that. But understand, every time we sin, Christ suffered for that. He's not suffering now. He suffered for that. He paid for it. The righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, he was righteous. He became unrighteous. So he became us so we could be him in the sight of God. That's how God treated him. There's all kinds of verses about that. but. It goes on and says that he might, look at this, this is awesome. He might bring us. This is what I actually had a whole outline based on bring us to God. I want to just preach on bring us to God because that is the whole key of everything. Bring us to God. When you are in God's presence, wait, what's that like? Anybody? Help me out. When you're in God's presence, what's it like? man? I don't hear you. Peaceful. I hear peaceful? It's what? Peaceful. Peaceful. When you're in God's presence, are you worried? No, because he's got it. When you're in God's presence, what? what's it, Ryan, what's it like when you're in God's presence, man? It's really, it's peaceful, man? Yeah, it's peaceful. I keep hearing. It's awesome. And he, that's what he did all this for. For Christ also suffered once. He suffered way worse than we ever suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may do what? Bring us to God. And that word bring us it's kind of like like a ticket to an event it's kind of the, the context of this bring us was when there was a king now could anybody just knock on the door and come see the king no you get your head cut off the king had somebody who would then check people and say hey can you you know and they would say i want to go see the king well what do you want to see him for what do you want to do how long you be there what? no get out of here but if this person brought you to the king they gave you Access that was usually restricted. And that's where the word here. This access is restricted. The only way you can come to God is through who? Jesus. That's it. Through Jesus. You understand? You can't even come to God in prayer without Jesus. The only prayer I believe the word of God teaches that God listens to before you give your life to Christ is the prayer for salvation. In the Old Testament, dude, the priest would come in and he'd be swinging incense. What an incense. And when he went into the Holy Holies once a year through that giant thick curtain, he'd be swinging incense. Hey, Mike, what did the incense represent? As the smoke went up to God, what did it represent? The people's what? The prayers. God, please don't strike the priest dead. Please accept the sacrifice. Please. Yeah, it's pretty hard. It's to God. And we should take full advantage. But do you have access in the Old Testament? What happened? you stormed through, right through the curtain and went into God's presence, Gary? Boom! They were gone. What happens if they were carrying the ark and they thought the ark was going to fall? And they slipped in the hand to help it. What happened? No, Boom! What happened if they offered strange fire? Boom! They're gone. It's only us as the church that have instant access to Him. Yeah. And it's through the blood of Christ. What a privilege. How often do we use it? Do we only use it when we're in trouble? When when do you want your kids talking to you? Hey, Destiny, you get ready to have a kid, man, right? Now, I know it's not gonna talk for a while, right? If it does, dude, that's gonna be freaky. But I'm just saying, when do you want your kid to come to you and Jack? As soon as possible. What's that? As soon as possible. Okay, And, and, and once the kid's born and on the outside and talking, okay, this is probably not, I'm not asking Ashley, because everybody in the family found out how much Coyote can talk. <laughs> I don't know where he gets that from, buddy. the boy can talk. <laughs> and, 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 and it was like, my son, that man, his head was spinning. But once he can, your kid can talk, and little Jack, right? All right, not Jack Weena. You sure it's Jack? We've, we've seen, yeah. all right. Uh, so, so little Jack, man, little, little Jack, man, wants to talk to you. You know, when, when Jack's a teenager, when do you want him to talk to you? Only when he's in trouble? No. What do you want to hear from little Jack? All the time. Yeah, you want to hear everything. And hey, little Jack, man, I'm asking a couple of years. Now, there'll be some days you're like, Jack, Jacob. You know, but what do you want to hear from your kids? You want to hear everything. You want to be there. And that's like with God. You yeah, just want to hear us when we're in trouble. Will you listen when he comes to you just when he's in trouble? Yeah. But you want to hear everything, don't you? Can you wait for it? Isn't that going to be cool? You thought about that, haven't you? You got that little Jack, man. Little Jack that's going to be coming and talking to you. And that's what you want to hear. And that same with God. Jesus came that we he might bring us. He gave us access to something that was unrestricted for all time. In Leviticus, when God set the rules for worship, he said, this is how you worship. And only you worship through the priest and only this guy can do this. In the New Testament, when Christ died on the cross and he ripped the curtain, which way did he rip the curtain? From the top to the bottom, so it was him doing it. He gave us access to the Holy of Holies. He might bring us unrestricted access to God. So you think sometimes God might, hey Holly, you think sometimes God like might make situations difficult just so He can talk to us? Do you think sometimes when things are going smooth, they're like, I got it, God, thanks God, but I got it, I'm good. When do we talk to him? Mac, I'll never forget sitting around a campfire one night. Just out of the blue, Mac said one of the wisest things I've ever heard. So I know it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, it always is. Right? said we were just talking and he said well we all know God gives us kids to drive us to our knees it was like (laughs) (laughs) he gives us that not true he gives us kids to drive us to our knees no matter how old they are or whatever it was funny watching Matt with Keone, and Keone's climbing on these rocks, and there's a cliff, and it's slippery, and Matt's like not really apparent. Ashley and JJ, they got their second one down, so like, yeah, go ahead. He can fly, <laughs> he'll balance, he'll roll. First one, Matt's like, oh my goodness, Keone, stop! Keone! And I'm starting of thinking, Matt, dude, I let you do all this stuff, you didn't, you know? But man, it's like, so he drives us to our knees, always. But it says Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous of the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And I think sometimes, I think we neglect our relationship, and sometimes we have stuff in our life just to bring us to our knees. Through a little kidney infection thing, right? Did you ever talk to God at all during that? <laughs> More than you talked when your kidney wasn't infected. I'm not saying God gave you kidney infection, but I'm just saying talking to God, you might want to start, alright? Because there's some stuff them. but... So he says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus' body died. He was dead. He, as a man, his body had to die. Because what, how is a dead body going to live again? What has to happen? A resurrection. And with no resurrection, we have no hope. If Jesus didn't die, some people believe, oh, he got resuscitated. Oh, he just passed out. Oh, he just, you know, no, he died. If there's no resurrection, Tim, what's your hope when your body's dead? It stays dead. It stays dead. (laughs) Tim, you die. You're laying right there. What are you in all of your resource? I mean, if anybody can survive, a Marine can, right? But can you survive when you're dead? No. No, there's nothing you can do. You can't talk, you can't move, you can't. Alright. You were you in the army? Yeah. Can army guys survive when he's dead? Not that I've seen. Him. Hey, Terry, how about Coast Guard. Are you guys like able to survive when you're dead? <laughs> no, nobody can survive when you're dead. That's why we have to have a risen Christ. Because he had to do it first so we could put our faith and trust to say, when I'm dead, and there's nothing I can do. You've resurrected dead cars, haven't you? But you can't resurrect a dead body. Only he can, and he proved it. And that's our hope. So it says he died and all of this was done to bring us to God. What a privilege that is. He wants us in his ship to go through the storms. Bob, man, we may get bounced around and tossed around, but we're going to survive. Man, I remember I was talking to Steve Hardy. We were on the boat. I'm not sure who else was on the boat that day, but Barb, you might have been there. And Steve Hardy's kids, they just got off a big Chinese junk that they sailed all the way around the world and stuff. It was pretty cool. He was talking about a storm, and I was thinking of when I first started sailing. And I'll never forget the first time going out of Jensen, going out of Stewart. We're going to the Bahamas, and big squall clouds coming out of the north. Big squall clouds coming out of the north. Just one big squall cloud. And I'm thinking, oh, no big deal. But if that cloud's coming out of the north and the Gulf Stream's moving from the south to the north, Mac, what's going to happen? Dude, the seas are going to jack up. And if I wasn't prepared, which I wasn't going to be, I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's just a thunderstorm. My buddy said, tie everything down. <laughs> tie it all down. We're in a 27-foot sailboat. No motor, no electric. We're just crossing. It's 50 miles, no big deal. And we fixed the hole. It was pretty strong. And so, man, we start tying. He said, anything you want on the outside, tie it down. Uh, Dude, Do i not tie it. He said, no, you better bring that in. Anything on the inside, he says, start securing it. I'm like, what? How bad can this be? It's a storm. And sure enough, as soon as we get it going, man, and we're batting down and all the sails are down and secured, all of a sudden the seas, man, started just jacking up. And literally I'm inside the boat looking out portholes. He's like, I wouldn't get too close to those if I were you. I'm just kind of amazed. I've never seen it. The seas and the boat sliding down. And and I wasn't on the outside, but I'm pretty sure from the inside, I saw the boat go underwater and pop back up a couple of times. Is that possible, Terry? Yeah, we're pitch and we're going boom, boom, boom until the storm was over. But guess what? I said, where? in without that boat. I mean, died. That security. He made it all possible for us to be able to get in his boat and survive, and come out better, more like him. So look at this. It says now, this is the touching part in which he went and proclaimed. He preached a message, all right? We really don't know who he preached it to. There's arguments over that. We don't know where he preached it. There's arguments over that. We don't know when he preached it, but we know that he preached a message. But it says, in which he went and proclaimed a message to the spirits in prison. Some people believe those spirits are the fallen demons that basically were trying to cohabitate with the women in Genesis chapter 6. And what they did was they, they actually didn't really like have sex with the women or whatever. What they did was they possessed the men. And the men were demon-possessed. And, 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 and then they had families and, and they, were, they, they put together families of people that just needed to be destroyed. Because they were totally against God. And that's what God said. You know what, guys? I'm going to give you some time to straighten up. But if you don't, my spirit's not going to strive with you forever. I'm going to wipe you out. And he did with the fly. So some people believe it was the demons that basically crossed boundaries and possessed people trying to mess up God's system. Other people believe that when he proclaimed it, he proclaimed he basically proclaimed what, what he had uh, done through Noah and all the other prophets. That when he solidified it and preached this victory message that he now won, it was testifying to everything everybody who had ever preached for him preached. And so, again, yeah, there's so much confusion on whatever, and I don't know the answer. And even guys like R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, guys that all kind of I can name names from all camps, they say, I don't know. This is what I think. But the important thing in this is to know that Jesus preached a victory message. So after Jesus died, what did the devil think had happened, John? After Jesus died. He was staying that grave. He wasn't rise. Yeah, the devil really felt like he had won. The demons felt like they had won. All the underworld felt like they had won. And guess what Jesus did? At some point he preached a message to the world and said, No, I win. I have the victory. I have the victory. And isn't that what we have right now? That's the message. We win. I don't care what 2020 looks like. I do, but I'm just saying, in the end, we win. One day, we've got an all-expense-paid trip to paradise. But until that comes, we've got him living inside of us. And he's setting us up to succeed if we will get in his boat and we'll enjoy the ride. But if you're busy complaining on the boat, Captain Mac, what happens? You enjoy the ride? No, and neither do most of the people around you. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you're hurling on them, but I'm just saying. (laughs) So he went and proclaimed a victory message to the spirits in prison. People were in prison to the judgment of rejecting the fact that he was going to send a Savior. That's all I'm going to say about that. Because they formally didn't obey. So he goes back to Noah, and he goes back to the story of Noah. He said they formally didn't obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So in the days of Noah, they were depraved, demon-dominated people producing a totally corrupt generation needing to be destroyed. Aren't you glad we don't live there right now? Aren't you glad we can't even see a depraved society right now? We can't even see a demon-dominated people right now. Aren't you glad that, that people aren't producing a totally corrupt generation? And I mean corrupt, totally against what God has planned for his creation. Aren't you glad society's just running real smooth with what God has set up for the word of God? There was no other way. He, and, and God was patient. How long was it between when God told Noah to build a boat because it was going to rain, he was going to destroy everybody and never rain at that point. Nobody even knew what rain was. Can you imagine being that prophet? Hey, I want you to build a boat. Build an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's this big boat. Well, why do I need a boat? Because you're going to need to float. <laughs> you know, why do I need to float? There's not enough rain coming out. Well, I'm going to open up every avenue of rain, and it's going to flood. Man, it's never done that. It's never going to do that. Can you imagine God saying, yeah, I want you to tell everybody, you're building this giant boat because it's going to flood. Nobody even going to believe it. And, 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 and you you build it. I want you to do that. How long did it take from the time God gave him that assignment to the time? About 120 years. For 120 years. Mac, what would a successful church look like if you preach for 100 years? Dude, it better be a mega, mega church, right? What if only eight people at the end would we consider that successful? In our eyes, it would be a total failure. But you see, success and failure isn't on results. Success and failure is doing what God tells you to do. So God was patient for 120 years. Noah's banging on the boat. Hey, do you think some of the people who perished in the flood, Chris, do you think some of the people who perished in the flood who didn't get on the boat actually probably helped Noah? Probably. Yeah. How about the dude who was a carpenter? And he had, dude, this idiot's building something. I can supply him a ton of wood. He's now man, I'm going to get rich off this guy. Buying, he's going to buy wood off me. I'm even going to mark it up because somehow he's got unlimited funds. I don't get it, but he says, he'll, he'll pay top dollar for it. I'm a, Hey, I'm hiring laborers. I'm hiring people, you know. There were people that probably helped him out that didn't get on the boat. You know, he said the same things that happen with the church. Back in Matthew 7, he says when he starts dividing people, he said there's going to be a bunch of believers, not believers, but a bunch of church people They start getting put in the wrong line. They go, whoa, whoa, didn't I help build that church? Didn't I tithe? Didn't I give? Didn't I serve? Didn't I? He says, yeah, but I never knew you. You and I never had an intimate relationship. You had a relationship with the church. You had a relationship with the religion. You did all that. But you and I never had an intimate relationship. So be gone. There are a lot of people who probably helped, but... They ended up not succeeding, not surviving. God's patience, 120 years, waited. God waited in the days of Noah when there were depraved, demon-dominated people producing a totally corrupt generation needing to be destroyed. There was no hope. And God said, I'm going to destroy them all. But whoever wants to get on the boat can. Hey, y'all remember when Zane preached on this? You remember, remember what, he, he made a good point. Who did get on the boat? Hey, Sophie, who got on the boat? Not the people, but, but so, so there, were, there was Noah and his wife, and their three sons and three daughters. Eight people got on the boat. But who else got on the boat? The animals. Why did the animals get on the boat, Sophie? Yeah, because God told them Noah wasn't, like, luring them up with, you know, little doggy cookies. And they didn't, like, <laughs> CBD them and knock them out, you know, and then drag them up, you know. They I'm fun of you. I'm just like you're just right here for that. I'm like you know I love you and I love how God has brought this pilgrimage to you. Why did the dog? Why did the animals get on the boat? God told them to, and God told the animals to get on the boat. And what did they do, Scott? They got on. They listened. Dog, isn't man? The animals were smart enough to get on the boat, but who was it? The people who were way smarter than the animals. <laughs> well, it never rained. It's never... Yet. Come on, 120 years. We haven't even seen a storm. You said there's going to be... No, nah, dude. Everything's been the same way for 120 years. But all the difference in the world is that God said. God said it's going to happen. It's not a matter if, it's when. And you've got the invitation to jump on the boat. Whether you do or not. But the animals were smart enough too. Put the people with their logic and reason. <laughs> Have you figured out faith is illogical sometimes? That's why God likes to do it that way. So man, while the ark was being prepared for 120 years, in which a few, that is how many people? Eight people were brought safely through the ark. Is that a successful ministry? Is that a successful ministry? You preach 120 years and eight people accept the invitation. To jump on. Is that a success? Tom, what do you think? Is that a success? That's what God wants. Absolutely. That's what God wants. But if that's because we're not responsible for results. We're responsible for doing what God wants. And you're responsible to responding how God wants and doing what God wants in all of that. And that's who got saved in all of that. But they had to get, where? where'd they have to get in? In The boat. They had to get in the boat. If they didn't get in the boat. What if they waited till everything shut up and they started floating and, you know, and, oh, did they get in the boat? No, they had to get in the boat when the invitation was there. It is a type of salvation. Eight people were brought to safely through the water. That water represents consequences. It represents judgment. So, Gary, the deeper that water, the deeper that judgment got. What did that do to the people that were trying? I'm just going to go out and let them say that's how dinosaurs got wiped out. I'm just, I They, they drowned. But what? It lifted them up higher. You want a beautiful picture. Do you see that? Man, the judgment, the consequences, the trouble. Well, if you're not in a boat, you're going to do what, Carol? Drowned. You're going down. It's not a happy thing. When you have a choice to be where, Brianna, where does God invite you to be? Your husband's going in the Navy. You're going to be there. What's he going to be on? A boat. (laughs) So, did the boat care how deep the water got? No. Did the boat care how long the trouble the water lasted? No. In fact, the worse the water got, the higher the boat floated, unless. You let the water get where, Karen? In the boat. Another lesson for us right there. We got troubles, dude. And if you're in Christ and you got a boat, where do you not let the water get? How about in you? Anybody ever let the water get in your head and start drowning you? Even though you have Christ? In your in your feelings, in your emotions, in your thoughts. You can't let the water in. That's why you gotta you got have the boat full of what of God's word. And with God's truth, because then we don't let it in. But the higher the water's got, the rougher the water's got, the higher the boat floated. Where do you want to be? you want to be in the boat or you want to be in the water? That's the invitation we have. And if you've given your life to Christ, you're in the boat. But what if you're sticking your head out the window? And I know there weren't any windows like you see in the little kids thing. You ever see the little kids thing where where they have windows on the outside and all the animals are sticking out looking? What would happen? (laughs) Michael? what would happen if you could stick your head out the porthole and watch the whole thing going down? What would that be like? Would that have been a good thing for you? Yeah, it would have been terrifying. (gasps) There's water coming. Oh, no. What if it gets in the boat? Why did that? And and, and so God really didn't put windows on the outside. Where was the only place that it opened up? Yeah, you want to look anywhere? Look up. (laughs) That's where it is. Look up. So if you're in the boat because you're a believer, man, look up. Keep that perspective. Know that no matter how rough things get, it's just going to make the boat float higher. You're going to be above it all. Fortunately, we are in a situation right now, Gary, where we have life life rafts. We we, we have rings, and we're over on the side, and what are we supposed to be doing with those rings? Tossing them to people. Come on! But can you make them grab it? No, but you sure can be offering it. But if you're all grumpy and grumbling and you hate being on a boat, you think they want to grab that and jump on a boat with you? Especially if you're hurling, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, but if you're enjoying the ride, you're getting at it like, dude, this is an awesome view. This is awesome. I want, come, come. It's safe up here. There's peace up here. It's great up here. That's who we are. We're a rescue ship. Once we get safe, it's not a cruise ship. It's a rescue ship. So the ark type of salvation was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The worse the consequence and judgment got, the better off you were. So you have to get in and you have to enjoy the ride. So he goes on and he takes that illustration of Noah. And he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Ah, so some people say, oh, you've got to be baptized to be saved. There it is in the Bible. That's out of context, All right, yes, Got to finish what it's saying. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, what it symbolized, but what it symbolizes, but as an appeal, an answer, agreement to a contract for God. So, Tara, you realize you got baptized? You were the first one to get baptized. You realize in the last three weeks, four weeks now, we had to baptize eleven people, not because we were trying to like pass out free picnic tickets for a bat- Get baptized, we'll give you a free T-shirt. No, dude, so we were preaching the word. People were like, I got to get baptized. I want to get baptized, and and people wanted to get You started it in there, and that baptism again, that didn't save you. What saved you was you surrendering. You seeing what God's contract was. God's contract said you're a sinner. Barb, you a sinner? Yeah, everybody here is a sinner. And if you say no, you're a liar, now you are a sinner. But, but, but you're a sinner. And sin has a penalty. You have now earned a free trip to hell. Anybody want to cash in the a free trip to hell? One-way ticket to hell? No. He doesn't want you to cash in either. It's probably why he brought you here or why he's allowed you to hear the gospel. Because you're supposed to hear that Jesus loves you and he came down and he lived a perfect life that we've already talked about. He paid the price for your sins because he loves you and he's offering you a free ticket never. But you got to turn this ticket in and say, I'm just gonna live in the way I'm living. I'm sick of the potential consequences. I need a new start, and I want, and I don't have the power to do it anymore. And it's like once you give your life to him, that's what baptism so talks about. It's talking about Jesus' death and burial, but his resurrection, so you can live in that. It's talking about you, Tara, when you got baptized. Dying to your old life. Saying, I'm tired of being the boss. I'm tired of everything it brings. And I want to live a new life in his power, not mine. And that's what I've asked every person that we've baptized. That's what we've talked about. And that's what baptism is. So when he says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the act of baptism, but what it symbolizes: Circumcision. Book of Gentiles. Or not the book of Gentiles. The book of Galatians. That's what it was all about because the Jews were given a sign you circumcise somebody, and that was what all the Jews did. So the Jews kept thinking, as long as we circumcise ourselves, as long as we circumcise ourselves, we're good. And he said, No, that circumcision is a picture of you cutting away your flesh. Now that we're in this New Testament, it always was a picture of you surrendering your flesh. But now, you know, circumcision, the act, the physical act doesn't do anything. In fact, Paul even said, if you're going to do that, why don't you just cut the whole thing off? That's literally what Paul said in Galatians. Because it doesn't matter how much you cut off. It's not what's going to save you. What saves you is what it stands for. So he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal from dirt from the body, but as an appeal. That word appeal means that it's an answer. It means God tells you, this is what my contract is. This is what my deal is. You give your life to me, I give you eternal life, and you verbally agree to it. That's what it is. That's what it says. But because you're saved because of the agreement you made with God that he keeps. And it's for a good conscience, which remember the word conscience he talked about? Conscience is like a window, not a light. What happens if your window's dirty? Steve, what happens if your window's dirty? How much light's going to get? None. That's a dirty conscience. But by the word of God, we allow our conscience to be constantly clean. And if we have a clean skylight, how much light gets in? So if God's shining the light, you want a clean skylight or a dirty skylight? You want a clean one. That's why we're in the word. That's why we're getting rid of sin. So we don't have any distorted views of God. And he said, when you give your life to Christ and your trust in his resurrection, you have a clear conscience. You know you're going to heaven because of what Christ did. Destiny, are you sure when you die you're going to heaven? Are you positive? Yes. No doubt about it. Yeah, you have a clear conscience. And it's because, is it because you've been good and perfect? No. I can ask your boss at Chick-fil-A or even ask Jack. No. But it's because he was perfect. You know that. And there's nothing that can take that away as long as you don't let the lie in. And so he said it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through him being alive. How do you, does anybody here know that Jesus is alive? Do you know that Jesus is alive? How do you know he's alive? The Bible says so in my heart. Yeah. Has he ever done anything for you in your heart? Wow. Uh, has he ever? Yeah. Uh, do you think he's alive? How do you know he's alive? Yeah, because you, he's changed you, right? Hey, those pants that you have on, this morning, when, I don't I assume you didn't sleep in those, right? Well, don't tell me if you did. But <laughs> after she pulled him out of the washer and you weren't in those pants, what did those pants do? Nothing. They didn't do anything until you did what? Till you put them on. Now what do they do? They're
1: too tight. <laughs> too tight. Yeah,
0: well, we're not talking about that yet. But, yeah, they do whatever you do.
1: You do this. Your pants do this.
0: You know what I'm saying? They do whatever. That's, that's how you know Christ is alive. Because you become like those pants and he fills you. And now you watch him move in your life. You watch him. You know. How many of y'all know he's alive because he's changed your life? And he's constantly changing it moment by moment by moment. I mean, how many of y'all, has he, Gary, has he proved that he's alive today yet? Today, T- multiple times. Yeah, exactly. Over and over. That's how we know. And it's through that resurrection, the deal we, that we got with him in that. So, he is now, look at this. Where's Jesus right now? Yeah, he's not your heart. All right. We are the temple of Who? Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, where's the Holy Spirit? In us right now. But the Holy Spirit is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. So we're not going to get into all of that. We're going to reel that back in. Terry, reel it in. Okay, Terry's too tired of even reel it in. His <laughs> all right. But literally, Jesus is in heaven. Colleen, does that make any difference for you right now, that he's in heaven? Anybody? Hey, Jeff. Does anybody know what difference it makes that he's in heaven right now? Chris? What difference does it make that he's in heaven right now? only advocating for Advocating. You're being accused of things that you're actually guilty of by the devil, and, and he's your he's your a defense attorney saying you're already paid. Right. Yeah. But in addition, defense attorney, right. advocate. What does that even mean? What do you think? Standing in my place, yeah. thinking uh, that I'm not guilty. Yeah. And he's setting you up to succeed. He's up there calling the shots and empowering you. And encouraging you. He's praying for you right now. Some of you are praying. Please let me stay awake till this is over. and He's answering that prayer. Right now. But literally he's gone into heaven. And look where he is at. He is at the right hand of God. He is in the place of all power. So who's in charge right now? Is, is China in charge? How about China and Russia together? How about China and Russia and whoever gets inaugurated on the 20th? Whatever happens there. How about that? Are they in charge? Okay, how about the Rothschilds, the Windsors, the... Who am I missing here? Gates. Uh, Yeah, oh, no, Gates, they're they're, they're little players, dude. I'm talking about the big guys. Uh, The the Rock, yeah. uh, Are they really in charge of everything? No, they're pawns in his hand. How about Satan? Is Satan in charge? He does run this world. But he's under God's authority. Who's in charge? God. So who do you want? Whose boat do you want to be in? Yeah. You want to be in his boat. And if you're in his boat, it's all good. Who has gone into heaven? He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected or in submission to him. So who do the devil, who do the demons have to answer to? Yeah. You know what? If I was you, I would you talk to the demons. Oh, i will cast you out here yet, dude. Jesus, will you take care of him? He's much more effective than you are at all that. So all the powers and authorities and angels, they're all under his authority right now. So what? who, who does it make the most sense to be tight with right now? Him, Jesus. And we have an invitation. He's he's given us the invitation. He's given us the access. And he's like, just sell out to me. Seek first. Seek only. Seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything you need will be added to him. How many of y'all believe he can add everything? Everything. And keep anything else away. So if you're going to survive the storms, you need a seaworthy ship. Christ is the seaworthy ship. You have to get in and enjoy the ride. So how many of you would say amen? amen. But how many would be honest and say, I really have been enjoying the ride? Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. How many of y'all could say, I, I'd like to enjoy the ride a little better? Yeah. I think that's what he wants us to hear in this. And it's only when we realize he's the captain, he's in charge, he's everything. Nothing is in our life except by his design to make us more like him and bring him glory. Man, we understand that it takes away a lot of anxiety. Enjoy the ride. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Father, you know this was a complicated little passage of Scripture that could have been taken a million different ways. But Father, you know how hard I prayed to you just to bring out the context. What uh, Some of you, great theologians have said the first thing they're going to do when they get to heaven is Get a hold of Peter and ask him what he was really talking about. Because they argued about this. But the context seems quite simple. And the context is this. That in life we are going to have storms. And success and failure doesn't depend upon those storms coming or going. Um, They're going to be there. And they're there by your design. And success and failure depends on how we ride them out. So, Jesus, thank you for showing us in your word that you've done everything necessary to be the only vessel capable of allowing us to survive any one of these storms in. So, Father, I pray if there's somebody here today that's never surrendered their life, they've never jumped in your boat, you can't obviously have a foot in one boat and a foot in the other. You've got to jump either in one boat or the other. If they've never fully jumped in your boat Father, I pray you'd show them that they've never done that. And and I pray that you would give them a desire, they can't refuse, to jump in your boat and receive eternal life. Father, for those of us that have jumped in your boat, help us, Father, to encourage others that are in the boat with us, that we have the very best captain. We have the most seaworthy vessel. That this boat is going to reach its destination. And that everything is not just going to be all right. Like Bob Marley said, everything's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be better than we could ever imagine. So help us, Father, to enjoy the ride. As I often tell people, adventure is most fun planning for it and talking about later. is all that great in the middle that wasn't an adventure. So, Father, help us to enjoy this adventure we have in our walk with you. Can't wait to the day we're in heaven, looking back, talking. And really, I think the crazier storms that we got to go through, the coolest stories are going to be for your glory. I pray that it wouldn't just be a mundane life. I pray, Father, that you would just totally rock our world and build our faith. But sometimes that has to happen through things that cause us to suffer. I would rather be closer to Christ It's separated from my suffering. And I pray, Father, that your grace would allow us all to experience that. So I should pray your Holy Spirit would be able to apply this in the way that needs to be applied.